All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is January 29th. Let's go ahead and do our quick market check. Uh, Joe, what do you think here of the S&P and, and Bitcoin as of today? We're sitting at Bitcoin 38 and some change. The S&P is at 4431. What do you think about these, uh, these charts here? For sure. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to look at the last... Um, you know, like a couple of days or even the last week time frame. Um, a lot of the people that I've been listening to have been echoing this, but Bitcoin is behaving more like a, a, a risk on asset than anything else. Um, you saw moving into the, the you, know, um, you know, federal open market committee meeting that they were being very hawkish, right? They were you know, saying that they were going to raise rates, you know, six times. People were projecting nine times. Um, Naturally, because of that, you're going to see people, you know, drop out of risk on assets like equities. Um, but that's what happened in you know, preparation for for the Fed meeting, right? You you saw basically Bitcoin, you know, move entirely in the direction of the S and P and you know big equity indexes. Um, and now as the S and P is recovering, Bitcoin's also recovering. Um, you know, like here and there, there are very small dislocations, but you know, from what you can see, like. Bitcoin is behaving very much like a risk on asset. Um, you know, it's still very much connected to equities. We'll see how it behaves, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the in the coming months, um, should the Fed actually hike rates. Um, but that's uh, that's yet to be seen. You know, we're, we're still right around 38. Um, I'm, you know, more than happy to to toss my entire paycheck into Bitcoin. So I'm, a, I'm an eternal buyer. So, yeah, buddy. Griff, what are your thoughts? As always, it's just one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. So we're doing pretty good, I think. I think we're holding steady to that. I don't know if that's changed. Is anybody aware that that's changed the effort? So uh, I think we're doing pretty good. I think it is interesting, um, as he was talking about, like the Fed being hawkish and kind of how all the markets moved. Uh, I was just talking to, and this is not a shitcoin podcast, but I was just talking to my cousin who he is, he has... He loves Bitcoin, but he invests in the altcoins. And we just looked at our Let's Go Brandon token yesterday because I told him like months ago that I would like buy some because he wanted to buy some, <clears throat> which I hated. I literally told him, I was like, dude, this is not like, this isn't even like Shiba. Like it doesn't even have the same steam behind it. Like I don't even, I don't even think this is like a relatively good idea. <laughs> and yesterday he had, I don't want to say the full numbers, but it was a large sum of money was worth $52 yesterday. And so I was like, so are you just going to put it all on Bitcoin now? Or are you going to finally listen? Or like, what's the situation here? But uh, no, it's interesting. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what Bitcoin does in 2022 with uh, all of the different factors at play, obviously. So, mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, guys, if you haven't uh, been able to tell yet here, we have got a new third person here on the uh, on the episode today, Joe Consorti. I did I did pronounce that correct, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It may, I, I probably don't have the Italian playing on it like, like you may have. But uh, yeah, hey, like we always say, man, we like to talk with people. We like to get on Twitter. We like to um, hang out with the, with the Twitter Bitcoin army. Um, and uh, hey, if you're down to have a conversation... You can be in Joe's seat, and we're excited to have him on today. Um, he's got uh, he's got kind of a cool story uh, as far as where he's at right now and where he's headed. He's written a couple of articles for Bitcoin Magazine, which uh, Griff, I don't know, did did you read the the second one? I know you read um, one of them. I, I finished my I finished both of those this morning. I was able to read the American Dream is Dying one, which I liked a lot because I feel like that's something that 
when me and Nick originally started talking about this, I was already a little bit further ahead than Nick, just in literal sheer time of like how long I had been studying Bitcoin. Nick might be actually faster than me when it comes to like getting this information going quicker. But I love that article about the American dream is dying and Bitcoin's kind of like here to save it because I think it is. But we could definitely let Joe kind of introduce himself here. Joe, like tell the podcast yeah. kind of who you are, kind of like we talked on the phone the other day and what you're here to talk about. For sure. Yeah. Well, first things first, I, I appreciate you guys having me. This is um, my, my first Bitcoin centric podcast appearance. Hey, I hosted on like some kind of meme review two months ago, um, which was pretty cool, uh, like completely unsolicited. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here and sort of talk, talk all things Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, I know I'm a uh, I'm a student. Um, I'm still in college. I'm 20 years old. Um, you know, over the last two years, starting in, you know, just before March of 2020, I, I ran my own small business. Um, I did $100,000 in revenue over one summer when I was 18. Then the following summer, um, I scaled up my business, hired people to work underneath me, you know, scaled it all across Massachusetts. I was on the South Shore. I was in Western Mass. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, just west of Boston. Um, and then I ended up doing a quarter million dollars in revenue in 20, uh, you know, th this last year when I was 19. Um, and then this year, um, you know, I, I got orange pilled by a buddy of mine. He, he works at Bitcoin Inc., Tyler LaRoche at Tyler LaRoche underscore on Twitter. Um, you know, he's a buddy of mine from school. And, uh, you know, I sort of got sent down the rabbit hole um, this summer after I, I, you know, did my first leg of my business. Um, and it's sort of, uh, I haven't looked back since, you know, uh, no, no subject has ever got me to sit down and like, you know, stare at screens and look at charts and, and you know, try to understand, you know, the, the futures market, um, try to understand the history of money. Um, so this is the first asset that's, you know, made me do that. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've gone ahead and written papers for um, various classes, one paper in particular, I wrote for one of my professors um, named Professor Andre Yukov. I mean, he's a very intelligent guy. Um, he noted that, you know, it was one of the better papers he's read. And so I decided to, uh, you know, publish it as an op-ed on Bitcoin magazine. And thankfully they accepted it. Those guys are awesome. Um, it's called The American Dream is Dying, Bitcoin's Monetary Policy Can, uh, can Save It. I've, I've written another one since. Um, I'm continuing to write for them. And then, uh, you know, in the very near future here, I'm studying for my securities exams as well as finishing my last semester of school. So um, got a lot of my plate right now, but, you know, you know, one year long time frame goal is to, you know, get, you know, my, uh, my securities licenses down and, uh, you know, begin working as an associate um, for, a, uh, for a Bitcoin centered hedge fund. So all pretty cool. That's, um, that's a little bit about me. So that sounded even cooler on the podcast than it did on the phone the other day. So I wanted to ask uh, on the phone the other day, what's it like, you know, making a lot of money being in school? Cause me and Nick were athletes, so we had no money. <laughs> we, we really didn't have the option to make a lot of money. So what's it like, you know, being kind of a successful entrepreneur going to school? Like, is it, is it kind of weird? Because when I was in school, I, I didn't, what are you majoring in something specifically? I am. Yeah. I'm majoring in uh, finance and economics. So how is it majoring in finance and economics where I'd assume at this point, when it comes to Bitcoin and real world knowledge, uh, you probably disagree with some of your professors and probably some of your fellow students quite a bit, I would assume, but what's it like being in school kind of with where you're at with Bitcoin and kind of with where you're at in life, honestly. For sure. Yeah. So Sort of, I'll, I'll answer the first, um, the first part first, um, like, you know, running two successful businesses, I don't view it as having, you know, having a lot of money. I've, I've put, 
you know, the majority of what I've earned into, into Bitcoin, the rest I holding cash to, you know, pay for my expenses. This way, I don't need to, you know, get capital gains tax every time I draw out some Bitcoin from, you know, from River, like Cash App or something, because I need to pay for, you know, a sandwich, right? So I keep some cash on hand. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, um, I'm just trying to leverage the fact that I, I did that and the fact that I'm still pretty young. Um, that's really all I'm trying to do. I, I still got my head down. I'm not, you know, going out and uh, I'm, I'm literally like wearing, this is my, you know, this is my high school soccer jacket. Um, you know, it still fits me. Um, you know, I'm wearing like this old lifeguard shirt. Like I don't, I don't buy anything. I'm, I think I'm the most frugal person living in my house. Um, so there's that. But I, I also think that like with, with the amount of, you know, studying I have to do in my own time and I'm, you know, also generally active on, on Twitter and stuff. And th there are so many smart people around me and, um, you know, everybody's always so intelligent the people I interact with, I try to, I try to interface with as many intelligent people as possible um, on a daily basis. So it's like, it's difficult to go into school and have everything sort of, um, sort of spoon fed um, and not necessarily something you can do at your own pace. Cause, cause I'll sit down and, and I'll read a book and, you know, I'll, I'll try to read, you know, half of a book in an evening before I go to sleep and read the other half when I wake up or vice versa. But then I'll go into class and, you know, one of the classes I'm in now, which I'm in all honesty, probably going to drop, um, is run by somebody who, you know, demands your attention for two hours. But basically all this lecturer is doing is like using big words and pontificating and talking about a subject that could be condensed to 10 or 15 minutes. And she spreads it out over the course of two hours. Um, and I think I've received two emails from her now because instead of paying attention, I'm on my laptop, you know, writing something or researching something, you know, on my own time. So it's kind of difficult to rationalize, like still being in school when information is free. You know, we can sort of talk about this, but, you know, if you guys have read The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth, that sort of changed my worldview. Um, you know, technology is naturally deflationary, right? Thus, the fact that, you know, education, the price of it is going up despite all information being free. It's kind of nonsense. And I used to look at that and scoff because mm -hmm. I would see the value of a degree more and more. But now that I'm on the flip side of it and I'm doing, you know, I'm learning a lot more in my available time than I am at school, um, sort of begs the question, you know, why on earth are we paying exorbitant amounts to to learn things we could otherwise learn for free? So, man, that's uh, that's interesting. So um, I want to I want to go back on um on the business side of things, because you said, I think the other day you were running a painting company, correct? Correct. Yeah. Were you guys doing uh, residential or commercial painting? Yeah. So we were doing residential. Um, the second year I tried to do one bid for a, uh, a commercial job, um, but it was in like the 200 ish thousand dollar territory. And there was a lot of lead paint involved, which, um, you know, is very extensive prep work involved in, in order to remove lead paint from a house. Obviously it's a neurotoxin, it's outlawed. And so um, that didn't pan out, but yeah, no, mostly residential stuff. Um, you know, uh, basically I worked through a company called Collegiate Entrepreneurs. Um, you know, you're basically equipped with a mentor to, you know, guide you through the year and creating your business plan, um, you know, going and executing on your marketing plan, things like that. Um, so the first and second year, my first year was really getting my feet wet, figuring out what I sucked at. Um, seeing if I had the capacity to run my own business. And then after I had a successful first year, I, you know, I, I figured out that, hey, wait a minute, I can bet on myself and win. And so every time I bet on myself, I would just take my winnings, put the chips, go all in on myself again. And it's paid off so far. And, and being this young, granted, like I have the ability to take more risk. I got a good set of parents in my corner to support me in case, you know, something goes horribly wrong. 
Um, but it's, uh, yeah, no, it was definitely a cool experience. And, uh, you know, residential house painting is definitely something that puts some hair on your chest for sure. Nice, man. That's really cool. Uh, so, so it's interesting. So, so Griff got uh, an economics degree. I got my degree in marketing, um, your finance and, and economics. Um, how is, uh, how have your experience within the business world running your own business um, and your experience with what you've learned and what you know now about Bitcoin uh, how, how does that contrast or maybe complement um, what you're learning in the classroom today as far as economics and finance goes? That was actually one question we had from uh, from actually another viewer named Joe um, that uh, that sent in a bunch of questions. And, and Griff and I were talking about him yesterday. And that was one that was like, oh, that is interesting. You know, like what is what is the landscape of the classroom like today? Um, of course, Griff and I are a couple of years removed from college at, at this point. And so I was like, that's a good question. I have no idea. So. Do you have any thoughts on that or, or have you really seen much or? For sure. So that's a really good question, Nick, actually. Um, the landscape of the classroom today is, um, is definitely not what it was like five years ago. I didn't even go to college five years ago, but that's as much as I can, you know, what, what I can certainly tell you. Um, 2019, which was the year I first started going to college, obviously, in the spring of that year, you know, that the world turned upside down with, with COVID, right? Um, you know, even, even prior to COVID, um, the discourse was in college you definitely had to tread lightly um you know they're like the the ideas you can you can openly talk about um are are very minimal right um there have been instances and i won't necessarily go into detail where you know some of the classes i'm in and, and some of the things i'm trying to talk about in particular um you know don't don't lead to a conversation um whereas topics that are, are, are very forced um, and, and clearly unnatural and clearly students may not want to discuss something like this are, are really encouraged, right? Um, with something like academia right now, and I don't want to tread off the beaten path because uh, I'll definitely, you know, I'll, I'll circle this back around. This is, you know, the, my <laughs> training logic is, is a little, little bit wavy right now. But yeah, I'm following so far. For sure, yeah. So, um, when, when a huge entity like the government has the ability to guarantee loans, you know, for, for more students than they ever have before, basically everybody, right? You know, every Jack and Sally can, can go and get a loan guaranteed for themselves and go to school, right? When you see something like that happening, A, you have an over-homogenization of students in the university, right? Um, so it naturally drives up prices. And B, the professors have no incentive um, to instruct on recent, relevant, or important material, right? Some do out of the goodness of their heart because they're professors, that's what they love to do, they love to drop. But when you completely misalign the incentive structure for people to come to your university, right? Which is we have a great you know, basket of professors, a great educational program, and you supplement that with guaranteed ability for students to go there, um, you know, what you naturally get is uh, a poor education, right? Lackluster. Mm. Um, so even at the school that I'm going to now, um, I'm, you know, paying a decent chunk of change for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I will say I do have some good professors and I have a, had a decent experience here. Um, but overall, you know, you can, you can, it, it's very visible the decline. Um, I, I have taken the things that I've learned in the classroom uh, to some degree and, you know, applied them in my business, um, as well as, you know, working uh, in the Bitcoin sphere. There's certain, I, I'd be remiss if I was saying that, you know, some of the economics, uh, you know, topics and, and some of the financial things I've learned um, haven't bled directly over into the stuff I've written and the stuff I've done on Twitter. But like the overwhelming majority of it has come in the last year where, I've, you know, been spending time studying on my own. 
you know, it is, it, it is kind of interesting. Um, school, when me and Nick went to school, we went to Albany and our economics degree, it was exactly the same thing. Basically nothing was current events. Everything was <clears throat> old news, like the entire time. And it was kind of difficult to like, I don't know, as a young person, it's kind of difficult to sit there and learn about something that happened about 10 or 12 years ago. And the professor, like you said, has a two hour lecture and it could be like, as we know now with YouTube and Twitter, it could be like a thread or 10 minutes. But uh, I think that's interesting to get to kind of get into this Bitcoin stuff. When I got into Bitcoin, I thought it was just amazing. Like you really do have to do some research and not just kind of research about, you know, you can't just read the white paper and be like, oh, I understand Bitcoin. Like you do have to have some kind of imagination and some creativity in your economic mind, which I think I don't know if I don't I don't know who said this, but Bitcoin kind of has turned economics into a bit of a science, even though it already is with the way that they've been treating money for the past hundred years. So um kind of getting into it, I would love to talk about some of your articles. And I know Nick probably has some good notes uh in which one would you want to talk about first, Nick? But I want to get into this Bitcoin stuff and hear what you have to think because uh Sitting in school, I could, I would, if I was where I'm at today and I was in school, I, I would, have I would have, I played football and I was on scholarship and I would have left just because I'd have been so tired of listening to the, the outright bullshit that these guys are just spewing every single day. I think Nick knows how much fun I had at Albany. Um, while I did learn a lot, uh, my last economics class that I got my degree with was from a fifth year PhD uh, who failed his PhD classes and then was teaching us and failing everybody. So everybody's just failing. And, grades. and I'm just like, so nobody, nobody knows anything. And maybe it's because economics in money is a science that really hasn't been fundamentally messed with enough by people for a long, long time. And Bitcoin kind of is that innovation. That's, I don't know, kind of getting money out of the dark ages. You could kind of say, but uh, which one would you want to talk about first, Joe or Nick? I like both. I like. I only read the second one, but I would love to talk about both of these articles. Well, what, what about um, Joe? What are some of your, uh, you know, and we had talked about it a little bit and, and we need to have like a, I think we need to do a full episode where we just talk about what are the, what are the uh, non-negotiable pieces of Bitcoin that must be true for it to be what, what we all believe that it is, right? Um, so what, what are some of your, uh, your foundational beliefs in why Bitcoin, you know, why do we need it? Uh, and, and, and I'll refer back to um, Bitcoin is revolutionizing global money management. That was, uh, I don't know if that was the first or second article that you wrote, but, but you mentioned the SWIFT system in there, um, which, is, which is really interesting, right? Because we got to, when we talk about, I would imagine that when we talk about why Bitcoin, it's, it's more so for the future, right? Um, and, I, and I think that it's more so for the future because we do have issues within our current system, um, I don't know what what are what are some of your foundational beliefs and 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 why are they foundational beliefs as far as where we're at today and, and moving forward into the future with Swift in mind and maybe maybe explain what Swift is for sure yeah so I'll explain what Swift is and then I uh, this is actually you know a sort of a, a great talking point that'll talk about the difference between sort of Bitcoin the network and and Bitcoin the asset and then talk about what I think the immutable process you know um, or not immutable necessarily but like sort of unchangeable uh, you know, foundations of, of Bitcoin are and should be, right? So SWIFT, right, you know, in, in very layman's terms is is the the basically the existing communication infrastructure between world banks, right? Um, basically what that means is obviously 
every single bank uses a, a ledger system, right? Debiting from accounts and crediting to accounts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no bank is actually sending physical dollars, right? Basically all fiat money is, is, uh, is you know, on a digital ledger, right? So with SWIFT, essentially, um, you know, not only is it communicating communications infrastructure incredibly obsolete, right? You know, when you have to wire transfer money, let's say, if I was trying to transfer money to, to something like Canada, right? You know, three to five business days, that's nonsense. I could drive to Canada in an hour and a half and hand deliver my money faster than that. Um, you know, in a, in a digital age where information is accessible at the, the click of a button, uh, and it might sound cliche, but, but we need a money that, that can, you know, be transferred instantaneously at almost no deadweight loss. When I say deadweight loss, I mean, you know, intermediaries taking these huge chunks of transaction fees. You can, you can think of SWIFT as basically um, your money bouncing from bank to bank to bank to bank to bank. Um, you know, essentially, if you want to analogize it, like, you know, driving all the way across the United States and having to stop for gas, each one of those gas stations represents a bank that your money basically bounces between, um, which is pretty archaic in the, in the grand scheme of things. Wow. Um, and so layer two technologies um, like the Lightning Network basically take this asset that's more of a store of value tank like Bitcoin, right? If you want to think of it as like a relatively heavy tank, not necessarily incredibly efficient for like massive settlement volume. Something like the Lightning Network allows you and I, right, to open up a payment channel and transact between us, um, you know, and also bouncing between hundreds of other, uh, you know, hundred, hundreds of the other channels that are on the network. Um, and basically, the, what was cool about Lightning is that your transaction uh, is incentivized to run through the cheapest you know, channel, right? So the more channels that open up, the more people who are charging lower uh, you know, transaction processing fees, the more competitive it becomes. Um, so you know, with the, I guess, network effect of the Lightning Network, that's going to become increasingly cheaper. So whereas you have something like Swift, where the barrier to entry, you can't you can't become part of the SWIFT system if you're not a, you know, a, a world bank, right? So that's already out, right? Um, the barrier to entry is literally running a lightning node. That's it, right? Um, and as consumer solutions become more easy, right, they become more adopted, um, something like the lightning network where, you know, you're leveraging all these existing channels to make payments between people incredibly cheap and almost instantaneously, right? It's, uh, it's sort of... Um, leaving absolutely in the dust, you know, this SWIFT system uh, where you're, you're bouncing from large institution to large institution. Um, so that's, um, that's a little bit about SWIFT. I don't know if you guys want to chime in before I, just, I dive into it. I just feel silly because I read the other one and now I wish I read that one. So SWIFT is, is that the only like operating system for these banks? Like, is there anything that competes with SWIFT to try and lower these fees or make it faster? Or is it really just a monopoly on I mean, like, who's who, whoever runs Swift is really raking it in like that. Like, they really <laughs> have all the best. Because in, uh, I work in healthcare, and a lot of these hospitals, hospital information, obviously, is a very, while very protected thing, it's very, in, it's incentivized, right? Like, there's all kinds of, Epic would be one of them where, you know, hospital systems like IDNs or GPOs will all have their information on a singular one, right? So that these insurances they can communicate kind of easier and get their money a little bit faster with reimbursement and coding, but other hospitals might be on a different system. So at least there is something in healthcare that, you know, is competing with an Epic or something like that. So there's nothing that really competes with Swift. It's just Swift or die basically in the central banking world. And we all are just kind of living by that old technology and their ledger system and everything like that. Is that how that works? Yeah, essentially. And that's sort of the mic drop moment, right? You think, 
um, in something that would actually emulate a free market, there would be competitors. You just describe yeah. it yourself, right? If one line of code uh, or, or protocol to process things is you know, inefficient in some way, then the market naturally tends towards a more efficient one. Um, but in something like Swift, right? You know, uh, you know, basically in, in this, uh, you know, this, this, this Belgian. Uh, we might have lost them for a second, but can I just say, Nick, this makes me extremely bullish. <laughs> like, like the Lightning Network just has to compete against Swift. I mean, let's be honest. That's like that has to be probably one of the easiest competitions that there's going to be in. Uh, I don't know, we like a business competitive sense. But yeah. uh, as Joe kind of gets back on here, this, I mean, he's a pretty impressive dude, like being this young. I wish, I wish my mind was kind of focused on some of the stuff that he's focused on here. Dude, I mean, you know, we talked about it, uh, I think, in, in the first episode. I mean, you started like a year and a half, a year before I did. Um, and then I jumped back in. Uh, I jumped into the Bitcoin world like a year, year and a half after you, right? Um, and at the time, I was 24, you know? And uh, here this guy, Joe, is 20 years old, still in college, running, running his own business. Um, I mean, that's really cool. Hey, so, so to, to finish up or, or maybe to, to hit on one other piece before we continue on this, re- listen to this quote here. Uh, you know, Griff, you didn't read this one here, but listen to this one. Having your money hop between hundreds of intermediary banks, each taking a sliver of your transfer for processing fees, culminating in a multi-day journey is old news. What I just what I just described might have sounded like science fiction written in 1922, not the global bank transfer standard in 2022. That's a direct quote from your boy Joe Consorti. There, that's a that's a powerful statement. There, I was reading these last night and I was sharing it with uh, with my family and stuff. And and one of uh, uh, my my mom's uh, husband Joe, it's actually who sent in the, the questions. He was like, oh, wow, you know, like we, we like to talk about some of this stuff. And I mean, talk about a quote. huh? Uh, I mean, sounds sounds more like uh, science fiction than the global uh, the global system for transfers and, and everything, whatever the exact wording was in 2022. I mean, that's that's pretty wild, you know, to think about that. Yeah, my uh, shout out to uh, shout out to Robert Consorti, my dad. He actually helped me with the phrasing on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's it's. It's actually embarrassing if you if you think about it how you know how little innovation has has um, you know occurred in this space because the, there literally is no competition right um, when, when it comes to state owned money and and this sort of goes for everything that the the state tries to do um, and and I don't know if we want to delve too too incredibly into that um, you know uh, the the abject failure that has been you know, state managed states, right? Centrally planned economies for the last century. Um, you know, yet, especially in my college town, you, you still have people openly advocating and being very big proponents of these things. Um, it's very telling, right? And the, and the fact that Bitcoin has completely, you know, come in and usurped this, this large, incredibly inefficient system um, all through the free market, right? People are scared of Bitcoin's volatility. Well, it's because that's the first ever instance of a free market, right? Um, you know, it's not operating from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or, or, you know, 9 to 4.30, whatever the hours are, 9.30 to 4. I can't recall. I did day trading uh, two summers ago. I lost a lot of money. Um, you know, it's, uh, you, you, you don't have the developers of Bitcoin convening uh, at the Bitcoin Foundation to talk about how they're going to switch from proof of work or proof of stake. Like, you know, Bitcoin isn't isn't manipulated by these, you know, these, these, these huge entities. And so 
people are so, so there's a bit of a culture shock in seeing the first sort of asset and market that isn't manipulated by a central authority. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually it'll be adopted uh, more widely and hopefully, uh, you know, become one of the, uh, the, the global systems for, uh, for remittance payments. Here's a, here's a, here's another thought for you. Um, uh, so kind of, kind of talking about this idea, right? This polarizing uh, shift from, you know, a fiat standard, the entire system that we operate on today to then a Bitcoin standard, right? And it's such a polarizing thing. There's so many people that are, you know, 100% bulls on, on the new technology, right? Of blockchain and how that can work within our current financial system. And then there's people that are like, you know, the Peter Schiff's of the world that are, you know, there's no intrinsic value. This is this is only a bubble. It's always going to go to zero, right? That's what their statements and their stances always are. Uh, but it's interesting. So uh, again, reading another quote from uh, from your from one of your articles. So, like Bitcoin, Swift uses a ledger state uh, a ledger system to record balances across its network. Swift simply transfers messages. Um, and and my thought on that is, do you mean to tell me that Bitcoin isn't so different from the current system, right? Because uh, you get into it in a little bit more detail in the article, but you talk about, uh, I mean, with the with with central banks um, with the SWIFT system, transferring economic value or money across geographical um, uh, spans. You know, all they're doing is saying, "Hey, here's here's fifty bucks. It's for this guy. Hey, send it over here, okay?" And then the next guy does the same thing, and the next guy, and the next guy, right? However many intermediaries there are. Um, Bitcoin seems to be uh, not so much different there. What, what do you think? Because it's it's still a ledger system, right? Obviously, there's obviously there's some core differences there, right? Um, but what are your thoughts on that? For sure. Yeah. So essentially, both are both are messaging systems when you want to get down to it. The there there are a couple of there. There's one key difference that I have in mind, um, and that's you you can't change what's on the ledger of Bitcoin uh, within reason. I mean, you could and I'll describe how. Um, whereas because, um, you know, the, the ledger is run for, for Swift across, if you want to think of all the computers that process the transaction, the nodes, um, you can essentially go back into the ledger and, and change transaction history, right? Um, so with something like Bitcoin, right, obviously we know, uh, well, I'll, I'll sort of describe how a Bitcoin transaction works. So essentially, let's say that I have one UTXO, right? Just means unspent transaction output. That represents my Bitcoin, right? Let's say it's one Bitcoin. Um, if I want to send you half a Bitcoin, right? What happens is, you know, every 10 minutes, you know, I'll, I'll enter into the mempool for the next set of transactions. And every 10 minutes as the new block is mined and my transaction gets, you know, sent across all the nodes to verify it. Basically, I'm sending you my entire UTXO and then you're sending me back change, right? Um, so basically the way that works is I'll end up um, with uh, a new UTXO, right? And, and you end up with a portion of mine, right? That's essentially how it works. Like I'm giving you, you know, uh, you know, X dollars, you're splitting it and giving me the change, same exact deal here. Um, so basically that's, that's how Bitcoin transactions work. In essence, I, I won't claim to be an expert. I may have described that poorly, um, but you know, with something like Swift, uh, you can essentially just go back into the ledger and change transactions. Um, you know, with the the hash rate on Bitcoin expanding every single day, which just represents new miners coming out of the network, putting more Terra hash and making the the hash functions more difficult every difficulty adjustment. Um, that just means the network's all the more secure, right? And as long as the economic incentive remains in place for people to come onto the network and be honest and mine Bitcoin blocks, right? There's nobody in their right mind who would say, I'm going to come onto the network. I'm going to expend more computing power 
then the network, right? Usurp at least 51% of the power to go back and change the entire ledger history. So I could change one transaction, right? Um, you know, it's uh, the, the power of incentives is very palpable. There have been attacks on Bitcoin. And, you know, so long as these incentives exist, Bitcoin will continue to persist. Yeah, it's that was a really good explanation of kind of how, <clears throat> I mean, like probably our, our, our viewers, I think at this point are still kind of new to Bitcoin. So that might be a little bit over most of their heads. <laughs> but uh, Bitcoin mining and the node system and how the proof of work system works is like, it, to somebody who gets into Bitcoin and then you have all these questions, I mean, like you don't even have to understand obviously cryptography a ton to understand kind of everything that Joe just went over. But um, I think like the biggest fear to everybody is like, it's this third party autonomous system, you know, like what could happen? Like, you know, everybody trusts these central banks, they trust their banker, which, you know, I find to be so odd, but uh, because I've never, I've never trusted a banker in my life. I hate banks at this point, but uh it is, it's really interesting how, I don't know, it's just interesting how like that whole hash system and how nodes are going to work, how it's going to just play out over time. I mean, would you say that the Lightning Network, and this is what we were talking about as when you froze just a bit ago, would you say the Lightning Network versus Swift is like what, like we're talking about Netflix versus Blockbuster, like in terms of how fast, like they're probably going to overtake, uh, one's going to overtake the other or... Do you think this is going to take some time for people to understand, you know, how to operate these nodes and run a business, you know, and obviously just take on your own transactions and not obviously like trust the third party? And or do you think business owners and people in general are going to be enticed to obviously not lose money to all these transaction fees and the SWIFT system and kind of how the old system works? What do you think about that? Like, how fast do you think this adoption is going to happen? For sure. So I won't go into the, the, the technicality of it. Um, because I, I won't claim to be an expert on, on lightning or the way it works. Um, those guys are geniuses. They're putting in a whole bunch of work every day. But what, one thing I will say is it, it's, it's almost similar to a business, right? If you think about it. Um, so in my mind, there are two major hurdles in, into lightning becoming you know, more widely adopted. Uh, the first one would have to be on ramps, right? Um, obviously, being simplistic for a consumer to you know, run a node uh, is, is pretty important, right? Um, because if less people run a node, then process transactions, right? And that becomes an ongoing trend. Uh-oh, now the network has less points of failure. And because of that, uh, you know, what you have is people who can, you know, charge high transaction fees. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Lightning Network might not be as enticing, right? So more consumer on-ramps that are pretty intuitive for them to set up um, and run their own node open channels um, on their own. Uh, that's pretty significant, right? So that's that's one of the first hurdles that people have to climb over. Um, and then the second hurdle is just understanding the concept, right? Um, in order for somebody to jump from, you know, something like doing a traditional wire transfer through like Western Union or something um, to using something like the, the Lightning Network with a cool, you know, API, something like Strike, um, you know, Jack Mahler's is, is, uh, is you know, absolute legend. Um, you know, I've, I've got Strike on my phone. I put basically 100% of my paycheck in there. Um, it's, a, it's a very innovative system. Um, and basically it's an API uh, that uses a lightning network to allow cross-border remittance payments across Bitcoin rails, right? So like I have dollars, I wanna send you know, somebody else dollars in a foreign country. I use the lightning network to auto-convert my dollars to Bitcoin. It zooms it across cyberspace you know, and then automatically sells for dollars. Um, things like that, there need to be more of them. Um, but also just 
understanding it's hard though i would say it strikes kind of made it hard to compete with them because the i mean it's literally almost as close to zero it's going to get and obviously that was jack Mahler's idea when he created strike and he's kind of set i guess like the precedent or the standard within like kind of the lightning network and like this new remittance payment global payment system community mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's kind of interesting how somebody will compete with that you know like i mean like zero is zero is pretty good like or as as close as strike is to zero i'm the same way it's it's cool to hear somebody on the other side of the country say that they have strike and that they love it and they're talking about it too because you kind of feel lonely as a bitcoiner at this point in time like i literally <laughs> so many people hooked up on strike or so many people hooked up on uh like hey this is the lightning network or hey this is it's it's really this simple and they're like nah like they don't like believe it or you know what i'm saying so like, I'm just like, this doesn't make any like, but at the same time, I do have to recognize, you know, Joe's been sitting in these college classes of, you know, if you're at a big university, hundreds of kids, if you're at a small university of like 20 to 30 kids, and Joe's probably one of 30. And, you know, I hope the numbers are getting, you know, kind of maybe five and 30 uh, that actually do their own research and understand what's going on and are interested in something new. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the Lightning Network uh, like companies like get umbral and kind of get people hooked up to getting lightning nodes and start processing transactions, how they're going to start doing it. It's just crazy to me when we are talking about swift and the banking system, how it's been like that for so long. And I hear in the back of my head, Michael Saylor talking about, uh, I think my favorite, uh, what the, what is money with Breedlove like segment he was talking about is how somewhere during like the Romans or the Greeks or whatever, like some, you know, somebody came and pillaged them or they eventually like took them over and they destroyed all their structures that had globes. And so then entered the dark ages for humans because everybody thought their world was flat, even though there was already a civilization that had figured out the world was not flat. You know, it's like with money, it, it almost feels like as much as, you know, as kind of sideways as the world seems right now, it kind of almost seems like, you know, we could either be entering one of those dark ages or we could be coming out of one with Bitcoin. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I, I kind of think, you know, Bitcoin is hope. I know some people say that, but it, it truly is because we're talking about a financial system that, one, this is great. Global remittance payments, being able to send money all over the world for free, great. I think about it, the, these lightning nodes, being able to run a business anywhere in the world, separate from a nation state and still participating in a global economy. I think that is what is so unique about this. I think that's what I'd love to talk about and like where the world is going to go with that, because we are getting into a more globalized society and people, you know, I'm a young guy. I love America, but at the end of the day, I care about my people. I care about kind of what I'm doing. I care about my entrepreneurship. Um, I don't really feel like our state has the, anybody's back under the age of 30. Let's just be honest. They don't care. They've already printed the money and said so. So I kind of think the lightning nodes and how that system works is going to give, I don't know, it's going to change the whole game because now all of a sudden you don't really need to attach yourself to a to a state or to anything to participate in the economy. And that's kind of going to lead itself into more of a globalized society, more businesses, more competitive nature of kind of everything. Because once you have access to that financial system, isn't that all you really need? Isn't that isn't that all these third, sorry, third world countries are waiting for is just the ability to kind of attach themselves to the economy or... You know, it's uh, it's really wild to think too, like, um, you know, thinking back on, 
you know, because I, I think, Joe, some of the pieces you were hitting on there as far as we got to have more on ramps for people to use and utilize the services. Right. I mean, this is like this is like the Internet in the 90s, you know, like I mean, how many people like really understood and knew how to utilize uh, the Internet to its full potential or or even think of, uh, you know, back a little further in the uh, in the Industrial Revolution. Right. I mean, if you were if you were just a regular, uh, regular Joe out on the uh, out on the town and and you were uh you know, you, you were looking for some type of machine to help you with your business processes. Somebody was like, yeah, here, you can use this. And then they charged you uh, a ton of money just to teach you how to use it. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the area area that we're in right now where people like, like there, it's there, the technology is there, but like people don't know how to use it. You don't know what it is. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because both of or all three of us have have taken the uh, the traditional academic, you know, finance, uh, finance and economic classes. And uh, Griff and I were talking about this, I think, in our first, maybe the second episode. But um, it wasn't until we had left school and and got into Bitcoin and started learning Bitcoin. And, and inherently, whenever you learn it, you have to go back to understand, like, OK, wait a minute. Like, OK, I, this is kind of cool. It's the future. OK, that's where are we at now? What do you mean? It's the future. Like, why, why do we have to go to a new future? Um, and it's interesting because I mean, I, I know that for sure for myself, like I didn't know what money was, but I had taken all your basic economic classes. I'd taken a, a banking class, a banking economics class. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, we've got all these people that are old, young, somewhere in the middle uh, that, that don't, that don't have any idea what even money is supposed to be. Right. I mean, and, and I think uh, one of my foundational beliefs is that money is backed by time, labor, and it is a representation of economic value, right? Uh, you, you put in X amount of hours or, uh, or time or capital or w- whatever it is into something and, and you're creating economic value. Um, that's, that's what money is supposed to represent, right? It's a medium of exchange, right? At some point, we can talk about different elements, but I mean, that, that's an interesting piece there when you talk about uh, the barriers to uh, not barriers to entry, but barriers to use, right? Your regular people out there that don't really understand it yet, haven't put the hours of research in to understand it, right? Um, and, and it really is at this point, I mean, you have to you have to allocate time to looking into it, reading things, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, interacting with cool people like Joe on Twitter, you know, like you have to put in that time or else you, you don't understand it because it is, there's so many different facets. I mean, most people probably don't know what money is. Yeah. So you can, I, I think a cool way to think of this is, I mean, we talk about the concept of gradually to suddenly, um, which basically just describes S-curve adoption, right? Um, mm. You know, a, a, you, you witness this along basically every major um, shift in the way that we use uh, new technologies around us. Um, you know, the, the home television, the microwave, uh, the, the gas stove. Uh, every one of these, you know, had a had a few, I won't say fringe, but I guess niche, uh, like households and people using these. And the people that were using these, like you knew all of the ins and outs, right? I, I'm sure the f- f- first few owners of a gas stove could tell you every single part of a gas stove and exactly what it did, right? But over time, because you went exponential in terms of the people that were using it, not everybody knew exactly what the ins and outs were. Um, and that's essentially every technology we've adopted. Um, I, I can tell you personally that like new computing technologies that come out, like I'm all over it. Uh, my dad's worked in, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a CTO now. He's been in tech his whole life. Um, so I've been building computers from a young age. I can certainly tell you what things are and how things work, but the, the average consumer can't, right? 
Uh, if you asked, you know, for example, you know, uh, an average person, like how this, you know, video game controller works, they wouldn't be able to describe it to you. Um, and the same deal goes for everything that experiences, you know, that parabola in S-curved adoption. And the same thing will, will happen with Bitcoin. Um, all people need to know that, that use Bitcoin, right, that are, you know, hopping on the train and uh, ideally in the next couple, you know, five to 10 years, I think, I think half a decade is a pretty good time frame for when we're going to experience this huge exponential growth. All I need to know is that Bitcoin is trustless money, right? Um, like, uh, like Griff alluded to earlier, we've been, we've been placing our trust in these bureaucrats and these institutions, um, and we won't go too heavily into that um, if we don't need to. But, you know, at the end of the day, Bitcoin, you don't need to trust anybody. Um, you can trust the power of incentives, right? Why do you go to work? Because you receive a paycheck. Why do Bitcoin miners secure the network? A, transaction fees in the block, you know, the block reward, which transaction fees in newly minted coins, but also to secure their transactions, right? As long as those incentives exist, they're good to go. What are the incentives with central bankers, right? Um, you know, uh, try to get, or, or at least with politicians, try to get elected again, you know, spin the narrative on whatever's happening in the economy, anything that's going wrong, throw some money at it because they have the, you know, unimputable power to print it. Um, and so it's like, okay. Uh, if you view, um, you know, the, the central bank uh, as uh, a system you have to place your trust in, Bitcoin is a system you don't have to place your trust in. Um, and that's basically it. Um, and then also knowing that the, the supply is fixed, right? So there can't be any more of it created, um, which means your wealth will just go up over time. I guess those are the things that the average consumer will probably know or needs to know. Um, and then there's some people who won't even know that. Uh, Bitcoin is sort of cool. Um, I can pass this off to one of you guys, but it's um, it's it's not a it's not a violent revolution, right? By any means, um, you know, we're, we're sort of sitting here chatting about the future of money very casually, um, but uh, but over time, you know, as this becomes more widely used, as it shifts from stored value to medium of exchange through things like the Lightning Network, um, people will sort of just naturally adopt it, right? They won't be forced to. There won't be any coercion involved because. We're not a central bank, right? We're just a, you know, we're just a bunch of people talking on the internet, but they'll naturally begin using it because it will become the standard over time. Mm. I think he, uh, when we were talking on the phone the other day, one of my favorite things he said is that Bitcoin is truly the only scarce uh, asset that the world has ever seen. Like it is, it is the only asset that we've ever had, the only commodity we've ever had. However, you want to phrase it, it's it's, it's one of one. So it's very hard. Um, to kind of go around and talk about it to people and just kind of categorize it and go, oh, it's uh, it's an investment usually is what it boils down to at the end of the day, because most people are just so dollar preferenced. But I thought it was really interesting how we also talked about gold, right, is like thought of as this extremely scarce asset, great form of money. And then, but no, it's not like it's really not like a great form of money. It's really not that scarce. It's really not that hard to fake it. And it really has caused the world quite a few problems. I know everybody talks about Bitcoin fixes this. What would you guys, or Joe, what would you say, bit like, what would you say Bitcoin fixes first? Or what do you think the most important thing Bitcoin can fix? Do you think it's these $0 global remittance payments? Do you think that globalizing an economy is good? Do you think that moving away from centralized nation states is going to be a good thing? Do you think that Bitcoin can do that by just changing what money is? Or do you kind of think that, this is just going to be a better banking system. And then now we can hush up because I don't think that, but you know, some people think that this is a very simplistic uh, 
thing and me and Nick are literally on episode two and then probably next week on episode three and probably for the next few weeks on episode five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on what Bitcoin is or what it could potentially be, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I'd love to hear from you on what you think Bitcoin fixes and why that's important for not just Americans, but just people in general, like what this is, how this is going to help the world. For sure. I'll, I'll say my, what I think, and then I'll pass the torch off to Nick. I think more than anything, like to boil it down, to bring it back to, to first principles, right? Bitcoin is the only thing ever conceived that actually can capture value in an asset um, and capture it accurately. You know, to, to go back way, way, way back when we were using marbles and rye stones, um, obviously money, right? When you were using those forms, it just fixes the coincidence of wants, right? I'm a caveman. I'm naturally a hunter. You know, I, I kill a woolly mammoths with my bare hands and, you know, eat their raw organs, but I have no use for the tusks. I want to exchange the tusks with somebody else. Um, but, you know, maybe they don't want the tusks, right? Maybe what I can do is, you know, uh, you know, maybe I want, uh, you know, let's say I, I want to exchange the tusks with somebody and I want, you know, cloth in return. They don't have any cloth. Well, they do have are these marbles, right? These marbles represent a certain amount of value and we'll exchange those marbles with my tusks at a rate that we agree upon, right? That's what money is. It's just the, the, the storage of value derived from something else, right? That's what a store of value is. And so I think with, you know, fast forwarding, you know, thousands of years into the future, um, where we stand today, right? Um, this is yet another, and we've had many examples throughout history of, of money being diluted. This is just another example of, of money being diluted over time and losing its value, right? Um, if you were to go back in time to the 50s, right, where a milk driver could support his entire family off of his salary alone, and you told him that you're making $180,000 this year, um, and you can barely afford a, a, a two-bedroom suite in Queens, New York, right, or, or, or Midtown Manhattan, you know, yeah. he'd be absolutely astonished, right? Those were the rates that the, the, the penthouses on Park Avenue were going for at that time, right? So this increasing dilution of somebody's dollars, right, their, their, their wealth stored in dollar terms, Bitcoin is sort of the exit out of the burning theater, right? You know, the, the, the value of people's labor, the value of people's wealth, in real terms is crumbling around them. And with something like gold, you know, um, if the price for gold goes up, people can, you know, increase gold mining, they can flood the supply, the price stabilizes, right? It's, it's mm. that simple. And, you know, Peter Schiff can wax poetic about why rock shiny, therefore value. But at the end of the day, you could find it on, you know, you could find it on asteroids. And again, um, this concept of absolute scarcity is something that humans have a tough time grasping, just like we have a, a tough time of grasping infinity or a tough time at grasping the afterlife. Um, but, you know, being able to store your value in something that is absolutely scarce, um, it's sort of a race to accumulate, right, at the end of the day. So I think that is what, you know, principally Bitcoin solves and what I'm most passionate about, the fact that you're protecting your wealth in real terms from an entity which has its vested interest in diluting it to fix its own problems, right? That's what I think. What do you think, Nick? That was really, I, I really like that. That was good. Absolute scarcity is something that the world has never, never seen. And it really is going to change that stuff. I love that milkman example, because that's something me and Nick talk about a lot. But Nick, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think, uh, I think one piece that you mentioned, and I don't know if there's a name for it. Um, 
but but the idea that hey if if the if the uh, if the value of gold pumps 0.7% uh that tweet that i just pulled up if the value of gold pumps 0.7% or call it 50 right um it's going to be more profitable for miners to go out and mine more gold right so they can expend more capital at that because if and when they do find more gold it's going to be a larger value right um and this this is true with any other commodity or asset or good or service the more valuable that it, that it is, uh, the market is going to flood to create more of that to capture the value, right? Um, and uh, and Bitcoin is very interesting in, in this sense because it's the one thing that actually cannot that cannot happen, right? Uh, and, and so this then you get into the stock to flow ratios um, and the having cycle of of the flow, which is which is I'll tell you what I tried to explain this to somebody the other day, and it's like it, it, you really got it, you really got to pay attention in 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 and think critically about it. We also have to have some, some prior knowledge and how it all works, but the stock being the existing supply and the flow being the additions of new, new supply, right? Of new Bitcoin. If we're thinking about existing stock of Bitcoin, the flow would be new Bitcoin being added into total supply. That flow drops by half every about four years, right? 210,000 blocks. It drops by half in that, the, the flow is exponentially decreasing, right? So it, it, which, which in turn creates the stock or the, the current supply becomes increasingly fixed, right? And that is, uh, that is an interesting thought that, that no other commodity or asset or good or service can, can do, right? And so you talk about the store of value element of it, right? Now, it, it's strange because you look at, you know, people talk about, Oh, the volatility, you know, how could it be a, how could it be a store of value if it's a, if it's so volatile. Right. Um, and, and I had written a little piece about this, Joe, I don't know um, about you, but I know for myself trying to formulate my ideas and the things that I've read and kind of come up with my own opinions. The only way that I can really do that in a concise manner is if I write it out. And so I like to, we, Griff and I, and, and one of our other friends, Nico, um, we've got a, a shared note that we'll go in there and we'll just like type stuff up and, and we'll just share about it. We'll talk about different, different stuff, but the volatility argument, right? Like people talk about it couldn't be a medium of exchange or a store of value because it goes up and down so much. Well, compared to what, right? That's if it's denominated in dollars. Um, and, and so it's, it's really kind of interesting. You think about like what the end game for Bitcoin is. I mean, if, if everything is always into perpetuity denominated in dollars, well, then that, I mean, how does Bitcoin work in that world, right? Like the, 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 in my mind, the end game for Bitcoin is a Bitcoin standard, right? We use Bitcoin as a store of value and as uh, the, the medium of exchange, the, the, the world reserve currency, right? It, it should take that, that position because it truly is the hardest form of money, right? You can't, you can't forge it. Uh, we, we talked about this in, in detail and in depth in the, uh, store value and medium of exchange episodes. So go check those out if you're a little uh, lost in the sauce here. But um, I mean, th- those pieces are, are really interesting. Uh, but but I, I got to ask you, Joe, because I know that Griff and I spent, you know, a couple hours at a time on the phone for I don't know how many how many weeks and or months, you know, as as I was starting to learn these things and he had already he had already looked into a lot of it. And so as I'm going through, like in the very beginning of my Bitcoin journey, I'm like, holy shit, I cannot, is this true? And he's like, yep, yeah, that's true, yeah. Go check this out, go check this out. And he'd give me some, you know, he'd go down the rabbit hole. And now, you know, I've, I've gone down the, the entire rabbit hole. I say the entire, there's still tons to learn, right? That's, what we're, that's all we're doing here is just 
trying to think about ideas and trying to think things through, trying to figure stuff out. But um, so Griff was was my guy that I was like talking to. Right. We were kind of I was learning this alongside him. And I think at this point, we're both now learning alongside each other and and, and having a fun time with it. But uh, it definitely gets uh, it gets boring because he's in Sacramento, California. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I don't have a whole lot of people here that I that I see on a regular basis that are Bitcoiners, you know. And so I got to ask what your experience is like with that, because I'm sure I'm sure you've got, you know, friends and family that are like, dude, we're tired of hearing about this. We don't yeah. care. And you're like, it's a revolution. It's so important, you know. For sure. Yeah. So what, so what was your experience with that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, won't, I won't dox anybody or name anybody, anybody by name, but there are a couple of people um, who who are, uh, are good friends of mine who um, I, I knew in person before, you know, they, they got crazy into Bitcoin and they initially introduced me. And now they're huge talking heads in this space. I, I won't name specifically who, because I don't want to dox people, but sort of those, those guys uh, were, were my confidants in, in a lot of this. And then naturally what ended up happening was because of my, you know, level of interest and also me texting back and forth, you know, talking, talking to these guys and knowing them, um, you know, probably, I mean, we're both passionate about it, but uh, I, I like asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, I, I naturally started, you know, talking to my dad about it. Right. Um, and, you know, he, of course, uh, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's coming up on, uh, on 60, let's see here, 61 this year. Um, so, uh, so happy early birthday to him. He watched the, uh, he watched the Apollo 11 when he was eight years old. That's how I, that's how I know how old he is. Uh, 1961, 1969 is when we landed on the moon, 1961. Easy. Um, anyway, basically me naturally talking to him about it. He's getting up there, um, turning 61. He's, you know, he's worked very hard for the last, you know, as, as long as I can remember, we, we used to live in California. We moved to Massachusetts, um, you know, the 20 minutes North of Boston. Um, and, uh, naturally like he's been working hard all his life. He's, he's always had to do some form of side hustle, some form of, uh, computer thing on the side in order to provide for us. Um, and then I, I sort of talked, started talking to him about this and, and the whole mining aspect really got him intrigued because wait a minute, you're telling me I can, I can basically monetize my ability to get cheap electricity and run computers um, and, and provide cash flows for myself without having to, you know, sell or, or, or repair people's MacBooks on the side in addition to my job. Okay. And so basically, you know, him and I, we, we allocated a lot of our existing capital into miners. Um, and, you know, now we're mining and that's supplementing his income and it's making the, the grid in our town more robust by, by a fraction, but more robust if you want to think about it. And so um, he's, uh, he's definitely a confidant of mine that I, uh, I, I, I call and talk about and talk to, you know, talk with him about current affairs. Um, and it's pretty cool having a, having a person in the family who's, uh, who's wicked tech savvy um, and, uh, and, and into this stuff. And it's, it's cool because if you want to think about it, um, it all started with, you know, one individual who talked to another guy who talked to me, who now talked to my dad, if you want to think about the spread in terms of not only our awareness, but also the, the income we've been able to generate um, from that. It's, uh, it's, it's really unreal. Um, and it's revolutionary in that sense, because it's, it's solving a problem we all have. And that problem is how we can take more of our value into the future, right? I don't want to take my cash today and buy a 72 inch TV because three years from now, it's going to be worth less. I don't want to buy a car. Um, I, I don't have the means to buy a house. I'm not yet raising a family. What asset can I buy that's going to hold this value into the future and appreciate? That's Bitcoin. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's so true. And I uh, all the way back to like not the milkman thing and kind of what we were talking about. What you feel like Bitcoin fixes? 
you know, mining obviously produces a lot of jobs, but Bitcoin and its absolute scarcity um, in buying a home, if you wanted to, people can't buy a home. No, pe regular people cannot buy a home. The milkman today cannot buy a home. Uh, and I don't think that is necessarily right. I do think it is obviously a problem with the money that we have in society today. Like the reason why nobody can buy things on a minimum wage is because they can't afford it because money has been fake. It's been inflated. It's no good. Uh, and it's so weird, like to, you know, I, I don't know how the world's going to go because everybody's argued for years now. And I think it's so funny. Once you get into Bitcoin, you're like, dude, minimum wage, like gives a shit. Like, that's not like, it doesn't even matter. Like it literally doesn't even matter. Like you want to raise it. Great. It's just going to mess it. Like it's going to mess everything else up. Like this absolute scarcity and obviously giving the people the ability to just run a node by themselves or even mine by themselves, even though that's not going to be probably finance at this point, probably not financially advantageous, unless you're going to be one of those lucky guys that gets a hash right and gets a reward, which has happened pretty, pretty frequently. This it's year. happened three times in the last month, which is yeah. so does that bananas. you a little bit. Cause do you guys have a pretty decent system and like you guys get some good, like you guys get rewards regularly or how does that work? Yeah, so I don't want to pan to the left and dox myself, but I'm actually mining, like right now in my bedroom, I don't want to pan the camera around to, to show exactly where it's located so somebody steals, uh, breaks <laughs> one of my windows and takes them. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I haven't, I mean, I'm part of a pool. Um, I'm also mining, uh, mining with, uh, with graphics cards that I have. Um, you know, I have a, uh, you know, I, I've been a, you know, before all of this, before becoming like a, a de facto book nerd just reading all the time right now I'm, I'm almost done with the safety and newest one the fiat standard i got for christmas uh, it's been a long time coming like i've literally read you know like seven books in the last month uh, but before that i was you know a, a huge video game guy and so i got a lot of graphics cards so i'm mining with those um but uh one thing i will say is um like we're mining with graphics cards and like flipping ethereum immediately like we're mining ethereum because we found the most efficient graphics cards for ethereum um so, you know, that, that thing can, can die uh, for, for all I care. Obviously they're, they're two separate things. Um, and the cool thing is like, they, those actually have resale value. Unlike like, you know, old, old, old miners, which will just become obsolete. And then you can't use them for anything else because they're ASICs application specific, right? Um, like with graphics cards, sure. Somebody's going to buy my, you know, five-year-old 3070 when I'm not using it anymore. And so, um, so that's, that's partially what we're doing. Um, and I, comment real quickly on one of the things you said you're talking about how how minimum wage is um is sort of uh this uh well, well i sort of view it as a hilarious concept uh, just to 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 go back to the idea of the, the state being incredibly inefficient at you know managing the economy right we live in a mixed economy right now um uh you know th 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 there are all these talking heads on 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 capitol hill and where i live you know a, a certain senator has been you know yelling about 15 dollars an hour minimum wage for years now Guess what? The free market determined $15 an hour for, you know, a, a de facto minimum wage for the last like five years, right? Most jobs around the United States, over 80% of people are getting paid at least $15 an hour. And so it's like, you know, you, you take a look at that, the free market already decided it. Meanwhile, the bureaucrats are still yelling at each other. And most people, you know, outside with a picket fence have no idea that, you know, it's, it's already 15 bucks an hour. They're working at Starbucks. They're already getting paid, you know, 1650 plus tips, right? Um, it's sort of a, it's, it's all a distraction. Once you understand that, like all of that is just really noise, um, then you can focus on, you know, what's real and tangible, which in my mind is Bitcoin, not to be reductive.
you know, I've I've been asking this question a lot recently, and I'd love to hear what you guys think too. Are these are our government officials? Is I mean, like, are are these guys that, for lack of a better word, dumb, or is this on purpose? Because they've been screaming about minimum wage for since I was a kid, and I obviously didn't have the same thoughts I have now. I was just a kid, whatever, but are they that dumb or are they playing the game? Are they happy with the current system? Are the people who kind of pull their strings that dumb as well? Like is Warren Buffett that like, is Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, all of these traditional guys, are they that, are they that blind to like what the actual economic problem is here? Or do they just lack the, honestly, just the simple imagination because the way I told Nick, the way I got into Bitcoin was literally just reading a Twitter thread, you know, and obviously most traditional economists or, you know, somebody who's going to work in the financial system, i.e. a financial advisor or a banker or, you know, anybody who has uh, kind of that LinkedIn reputation, you know, in our world today. Um, are they that, are they just blind to the whole thing? Like, I don't, you know, it's kind of like one of these things I've been asking for the last two years since I've been studying Bitcoin. I'm like, everybody should want this. It, it fixes people's, it fixes kind of everybody's problem. We can operate on it. There might be some, you know, people who have a lot of malinvestment out there that might get screwed in the process of transitioning over. But, you know, poor investment into society at at all levels, poor credit at all levels is bad for everybody, not just bad for the individual. Um, And do you so what do you guys think? Do you feel that they're just happy about the game that's being played or like do they are they playing the game or are they smart enough to see that Bitcoin is about to kind of screw them over, but I, you know, it's kind of something that I've been asking a lot in the last couple of weeks because Biden's coming out, coming out with more regulation, but Arizona's legalizing it as tender. It's like, they're smart people on both sides, obviously. Bitcoiners are kind of single issue voters. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. But I just can't tell if they're dumb or if, or if they just <laughs> don't want to, or if they don't want to change, because obviously everybody's adverse to change and changing the way you think about money is a, it is a, is a complex con like, it's a complex concept thinking like money is not just this dollar and that's it. Most people just see the dollar or the minimum wage and they're like, that's what money is. Like, you know, it's a very like simple term when if you actually go and study the history of money or you just study money, you realize that most of our problems today are because money sucks. <laughs> like, because <laughs> good. And I just don't know. Like, I don't know if they just are not, they're not seeing it. They lack the imagination or it's an actual attack on the people Mm. kind of thinking it kind of is an actual attack on the people to certain levels but i don't know i don't know what you guys think it to me it just seems like it could definitely be uh an on-purpose situation but I'd it's love- uh it's uh it's definitely weird to think about that stuff you know like they had um then they have the congressional hearings a couple weeks ago or whenever it was and they were talking about stable coins and this and that and this and that right and and i, I don't know if you guys watched any of that stuff or saw any of the any of the highlights and stuff from it, but it really is crazy. It's like, it's like, Hey, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of all this stuff here. Um, but I'm just going to ask some real dumb questions and I'm not really going to think much about what the issue is and what, what maybe a potential solution to that issue is, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm just i I'm just a regular dude and I spent, you know, two, three months, um, to, uh, to, to learn about this stuff and having spent that time, I'm like, Oh, this makes sense. This is okay. You know, I, I don't know everything, right? I, I don't know how like the, the technological part of it works. I don't understand cryptography, um, but I also don't know how my car works. Uh, I don't know how the, the HVAC system works in my house per se, right? Or the electric system or the internet for that matter, but I'm able to use it. 
you know? Um, and, and, and I think that that's kind of weird, right? Like, uh, it seems like a lot of people are like, oh, we don't know how it works. You know, you can't, it's not a tangible physical thing. You don't know how it works. Well, it's like, okay, well then what, how did you get here today? How did you, you know, there's, there's such an infrastructure that everything has been built upon. And, uh, you um, feel like our leaders in the world today are kind of like that. Like they're just operating the money system. That's kind of already been in place when they were kids and they don't really even, you know, they don't even know what, like, it's kind of like, it doesn't make sense. They already, the moat was already dug. They, they grew up in like, they grew up in that little area. And now they're just like, well, this is all we know. And we can't change because that'd be interesting. I mean, obviously if like, that's what it is, you know, that's, yeah. Well, well, it, it, it kind of, it, it's great. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, be, it seems like they've just put zero efforts into trying to understand what Bitcoin is and how it works and, and, and the issues that it's supposed to solve and the foundations that it's supposed to build upon. Right. Um, and, and, and it's almost like we, we don't have, imagine we didn't have any roads, right. There's no interstate highways. There's no roads. It's just, uh, just maybe dirt paths and, uh, and just open land. Right. And, I've got a, a really nice Corvette sitting here, brand new, right? And they're like, that thing sucks because we're, you know, it can't drive over that hill. And you're like, guys, the, because, and I'm sure that you guys would agree, right? The infrastructure for the use of Bitcoin, right? Those on ramps that you talked about earlier, Joe, uh, there's so few of them, right? The, the application is, it's a little clunky, right? I mean, you use, uh, we use Blue Wallet, Griff and I, it's one of the, one of the systems we use to store Bitcoin. And uh, if you want to take it out of there, it's it's a little you got to send it to an exchange and then you got to sell it on the open exchange and then you've got your dollars and then you could transfer it to your bank to then use. It's a little clunky, right? There, there are still some intermediaries that's it's difficult to use. Right. And it's it, it's similar to uh, I've got a brand new Corvette and all we've got are, are dirt and gravel roads, you know, where it's like you can't really use it to its full potential yet. And, and people are looking at Bitcoin now uh, as the car with only dirt roads and they're like oh yeah that's that's not the solution that's not going to work and you're like no that this is a great tool we just have to continue allocating smart minds and money to building that infrastructure right um and it uh, it doesn't make any sense that these people haven't like they haven't put it, it seems like they just haven't put any thought to it because i mean i feel like i don't feel like i'm like some wizard that just understands everything right i mean all i did was put some time into reading some stuff and listen to some podcasts and thinking about some things you know and uh, and it seems like huh i mean either there's something that we're missing that that we just don't under we we maybe just don't grasp and understand the the size of what we're talking about um maybe there's something that we're missing that that would make it to where bitcoin can't work in the future um but it doesn't quite seem like that yeah, so it, it all boils down to the incentive structures at the end of the day. Um, mm -hmm. the, the government, their vested interests are in that of keeping the fiat standard alive. What does fiat mean, right? It means by edict, right? I could be throwing that around, but that's the basic meaning, right? Um, so essentially, as opposed to a dollar being backed by gold, right? A dollar used to be a certificate in exchange for a certain amount of gold. Now, a dollar is backed by the good faith and credit of the United States government. What does that mean? That's fiat, Right. So why, why does the government want to re retain its hold on fiat? Well, have you seen the amount of debt that we've got? Um, so <laughs> one of the huge reasons is they want to devalue their debt. How do you do that? Well, you've got a fixed dollar amount for your debt, right? You have to pay people back. It's not like that debt is appreciating, right? Uh, well, there's being more being added to it, but it's not like if the, if the debt were to stop climbing, its value would appreciate in real terms. But what they do is they inflate the money supply to make their 
you know, their, their debt valued less. So, so it's easier to pay, right? It's, it's that simple. Um, you know, there's that. And then also um, the, the fiat system sort of uh, incentivizes kicking the can down the road. If we had a finite source of money, you'd actually have to, you know, be a brain and solve problems. Um, but what do people complain about modern day politics? They complain that, you know, either both parties are the same or, or neither solves anything in a, in a particularly, you know, uh, longstanding manner. That's because the money isn't incentivizing them to do that, right? If we had a real finite supply of money and we had to be austere with the way we were doing things, chances are we wouldn't be toying with the idea of going to, Ru going to war with Russia, you know? Chances are Russia wouldn't be toying with the idea of, you know, going to war with Ukraine, right? All of these different things um, are just a, a, a sort of an extension of the fact that you can print money out of thin air to finance virtually anything. Right. So decision making is no longer tied to intrinsic value. Right. Because you could just throw money at it um, at the expense of your citizens. Um, that's essentially why um, it, it could be the fact that they don't understand Bitcoin. But I'm more of the, the opinion that they, they fundamentally understand that that Bitcoin poses a threat, as Biden just said, to national security. Right. There's going to be a huge war on Bitcoin, specifically because it forces politicians to be responsible with the way they're spending. And that's mm -hmm. it. That's, uh, that's definitely wild. You, know, you think about it like from, a, from an individual standpoint, um, you, know, you talk about it, it's, more, it, it's more efficient and more effective to borrow and, and you know, take, take on the cash flow liability of you know, borrowed money because then you can create more with not having really anything, right? I mean, obviously it depends on the individual as far as how much money you can borrow and what rates that those may be. We talk about an individual level, right? But, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to be a real estate investor, well, you're going to be probably the most inefficient real estate investor. If you only use cash, right? You got, you've got to leverage. If you don't leverage and arbitrage the dollars that you've got, then you're going to be inefficient, right? I mean, if, if you've got a uh, hundred thousand dollars, you could buy, you know, two $50,000 houses for cash or, you could go buy uh, you could go buy like uh, ten and put you know ten thousand dollars down on each of them and leverage your dollars right and then use the cash flow in your real estate to then pay for the financing of those and then over time uh, you're using other people's money to buy the properties you're using your renters other people's money to pay the lending fees the your your mortgage payment or whatever on that bor borrowed money. And, uh, and, and over time, you're able to pull your own capital out via cash out refinance. And now you've got all the cash you started with and probably more. You've got equity in the properties that you own and you own those physical properties. I mean, that's, that's talk about the incentive structure, right? You're incentivized to do that. Oh, and all the tax incentives that are built in when you do that, right? You don't pay taxes on loans. You don't pay taxes on loans. And so whenever you, and also the, the, the depreciation of a home, over, you know, you talk about a 30 year fixed mortgage, I believe you can depreciate the value in the maintenance of your home uh, over 27 years. Um, you know, so, so you talk about depreciating what you're paying on that, plus you've got income coming in uh, from your renters in the depreciation and the income typically will offset each other to where you don't really have to pay a whole ton in taxes anyways. You know, you're still gonna have to pay property taxes and certain things like this. She, there's obviously a ton more elements than, than what I'm hitting on here, but uh, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a it's such a complex system, and uh, you know, it, it, I always like this. Uh, my uncle and I've talked about it before. You know, everybody likes to say, "Well, basic basic economics or basic supply and demand says this and this and this." 
this shit is so far beyond basic economics. It's ridiculous. Where Bitcoin is really interesting is because it is sound money. You do have some of those some of those sound sound money principles coming back into play, right? Sound economics, basic supply and demand. Those types of things actually work when there is sound money. I mean, I don't know how much research, Joe, you've done on uh, modern monetary theory, but I mean, that shit is uh, weird, huh? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as your personal, your personal finances, right? You look at the governments, right, as, as the example of the institution, right? The government, the federal government of the United States, compared to, you know, any one of us with our own personal budgets. We've got to manage, okay, I've got this much coming in and in inflows. I've got this much going out and, and outflows on a fixed amount, you know, on a monthly schedule. And I've got these expenses that are variable, and I've got X amount free cash flow left over. Now, what do I want to do with this, right? And, and there's tons of systems that go into that. The government doesn't have to manage their system like that because, Joe, to your point, let's just print some money. We'll just figure it out. We'll print. We'll print some money, and uh, it's it's not it's not their money anyways to to, to begin with, right? It'd be like. It'd be like if, if I got put in charge of Joe's account uh, to manage all of his inflows and outflows and what he does with everything. And, uh, and I just, I'll just spend money willing it because it ain't my money, right? They're spending the taxpayer dollars. Now we know that, you know, uh, technically they're supposed to protect the constitution of the United States. They're supposed to be working for the people. Right. Uh, but I think that uh, we're starting to see some issues. One of them being inflation, uh, right. I mean, this is probably the, the big hot button issue that everybody likes to talk about. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's such a complex system and they've got so many layers to it at this point. It's, it's ridiculous. You, you kind of mentioned it a second ago, Joe, you talk about, you know, futures and, and options contracts, der any derivatives, right. That adds a whole nother element that doesn't make any sense. Right. I mean, you, you, we talk about volatility in the markets, right. I mean, what, what causes anything in to go up and down in value? It's, it's market actors buying and selling in the open market, right? Uh, if more people buy something and they put more money in that deal, the market cap expands, the value of it in total increases. If more people sell and they take money out, then the market cap decreases and the total value decreases, right? Uh, but then, you know, that's pretty basic, right? That's basic supply and demand, basic economics. Um, but then you start adding in derivatives and all that kind of stuff. You start you start looking at interest rates and different yields from different asset classes. How does how does how does Bitcoin compare to real estate or bonds or equities or private investments or lending? You know, it's like there's so many damn elements that it's like, what the hell's going on? Absolutely, I think um, the the fact that, and I think safety instead of best in his new book, um, in order to protect your wealth, right? And I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, people are forced to become you know, investors, right? Pseudo investors, as opposed to just being able to earn money and then sit on that money with, you know, the, without hoping anything, knowing that it's going to store its value. We're forced to, you know, uh, become, become traders in essence, we're, we're forced to learn how to become realtors on our own. Um, and, and that's, you know, inflating the everything bubble even more. Um, it's, it's taking away people's valuable time that they would otherwise be, you know, spending, enjoying the fruits of their labor, um, instead, you know, suffering from the consequences of undisciplined monetary policy. Wow. All of this is like, it, it's crazy how we all like have different kind of, uh, I don't know, just little takes here and there on like all of this stuff that we kind of all end up at the same, the same issues. 
uh, <clears throat> Nick, I don't know what more you want to cover. I feel like we've covered quite a few things, uh, but we appreciate your time, Joe. I mean, this has been pretty awesome. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a ton. I definitely am going to do more research on Swift now that uh, we had this conversation because that's just like, that, that kind of blew my mind because I feel like in my current job, I literally think about the, those kind of intermediary systems and I'm like, man, these things suck. Like, like what, like, why are we still using, like, it doesn't make any sense with how good the internet really is nowadays. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. And maybe it's just because people aren't, obviously they, they don't have the creative imagination to build new systems, but over time, I think people will. Uh, I don't know what you want to wrap it up with Joe. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, do you have any more articles coming out? What's the next big thing for you? Um, things like that, whatever you want to let our listeners know. There's not that many yet, but maybe one day there will be. And they, they will look back on this episode, probably listen to you quite a bit. So let them know. For sure. Absolutely. Well, you, you can find me right there um, at Joe Consorti on, uh, on Twitter. I, uh, I, I post quite a bit on there. Um, yeah, that's me on the left. I was competing against two <laughs> firefighters who were twins. Been unfair if you ask me. Um, you can find me there. Um, I'm always posting, uh, posting new things that I, uh, I find to be, you know, profound or whatever comes to mind, uh, you know, market updates, things like that, some memes. So, uh, so follow me on there. Uh, what's coming next for me? Well, I'm, uh, I'm currently drafting my next piece for Bitcoin magazine. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away, but essentially, um, it, uh, it revolves around, um, one of the, uh, one of the endless wars that we've been participating since the, uh, the start of the 21st century. Um, and how uh, how Bitcoin uh, could potentially prevent things like that from happening again. So awesome! Oh, I did read it. Great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we appreciate you having uh, or hopping on with us, Joe. Um, everybody, uh, come check us out again. You know, just like we're sitting here with Joe, we love to talk with people. Uh, find us on Twitter at Nick and Griff Show. Um, we're on Twitter. We love to we love to talk about some stuff. Hit us a shoot us a DM. We'd love to talk. Maybe we can have some more people on the show. Find the uh, if you're not if you're not watching on YouTube, we are on YouTube as well. It is the Nick and Griff Show. Check us out. Um, we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we are looking forward to some uh, some more conversations with more fans, more uh, more uh, like minded Bitcoin people. And uh, we hope you guys have a great rest of the weekend and a great week. Look forward to the next episode.